Welcome to the Gay Buddhist Forum, where teachers from all schools of Buddhism offer their perspectives on the Dharma and its application in modern times, especially for LGBTQI audiences. These talks are offered freely to the world and made possible by appreciative listeners. If you would like to support our efforts to share the Dharma with underserved audiences, please visit gaybuddhist.org. There you can donate, find a list of upcoming speakers, or enjoy many hundreds of these recorded talks dating back to 1996. So before we do our introductions, um, I'll share something that I uh, forgot to share before our presentation. We get a lot of letters from uh, inmates who receive our newsletter, and they're always sending us all sorts of great stuff, Christmas cards, and Buddhist New Year cards, and uh, this one came in, and I thought I would just share it with you. It's a little uh, mobile, along with a nice note. And there's a letter that I'll read uh, later during the announcements. Hmm. Origami star, bird, mobile, unfold wings of birds up or down so bird is flying. <laughs> So it's interactive. <laughs> I figured I would share that with you. Maybe uh, you know we can keep our our uh, incarcerated friends in mind. So our tradition is to go around and introduce ourselves first, and then I'll introduce our speaker. My name is Tom. I'm George. Robert. I'm Kay. Jonathan. My name is Robert. My name is Mark. My name is Roy. <coughs> Francesco. And Juan. I'm Michael. I'm Tony. I'm Brad. My name is Kath. Michael. Jack. Yeah. Peter. My name is Oswaldo. I'm Clint. Good. Jeff. My name is Jerry. I'm Richard. Jim. Mike. I'm David. Jay. My name is Jay. Kurt. I'm Hal. Trip. Jim. Paul. Michael. Alicia. My name is David. And I'm Bill. Perfect. Uh, is anyone here for the first time or after a long absence? Ed? Yeah. Kurt. Oh, Kurt, you're back. Yes. Welcome. And Michael. Michael. Welcome. Um, our speaker today, I'm going to read your little bio, uh, is Bill Weber. Uh, Bill is a senior Vipassana practi practitioner and a graduate from Spirit Rock's Community Dharma Leaders Program. He has 20 years of extensive retreat practice and currently practices at home with his husband or sits with a small group of gay men. I guess that would be us. No, there's a smaller group. Oh, smaller. <laughs> uh, he's also a documentary filmmaker and video editor whose latest projects are The Galapagos Affair and To Be To K, which is fantastic. Bill, welcome. Thank you. Um, it's nice to be back. I've spoken here a lot, and I started coming to GBF, I think, in 1993 um, when it was over at the... Um, at the guest house, the Laguna Honda guest house for the Zen Hospice. 
and I recognize a number of people that are that were here or were going to the group back then. And it's sort of, the group has a long history, and it's really wonderful to see that that history continues. Um, I, I want to start with talking about the bravery of this practice and the bravery to acknowledge the bravery that we sit with ourselves, which is what we just did for 30 minutes, that we just take the time and just close our eyes and pay attention to what's going on, and that that often isn't so comfortable and can sometimes be very scary and very humbling because we're all a little bit crazy and we just have to sit with that. And not only are we are a little bit crazy, but we also carry around a lot of physical and emotional discomfort. And what this practice calls on us to do is to face that and to go into that and not to turn away from it. And these days, turning away from it is usually just in our pocket. You know, it's just like we can constantly go someplace. Um, but what we all just did together and shared together was we just sat down and took 30 minutes and just paid attention in, in varying degrees on what's going on with us. And it's, it's, it's a brave act and it's a, um, and we can learn a lot from that. It can, it can really help guide us. One thing we learn is that our minds just go. Our minds have sort of a mind of their own. And we can think, okay, I'm going, I'm going to sit here for a minute and pay attention to my breath, but oh my God, this planning comes up or this rehashing of an argument comes up. And it's like, no, I want to just pay attention to my breath. It's like, the mind's like, no, we're going here. You know, we're going to pay attention to what we have to do after the sit's over and who we want to talk to and who we're going to have lunch with. And it's like, mm -mm, no, I'm just going to pay it back to the breath. I'm like, no. Um, the, mind, the mind just goes. I, the other day I was, um, I woke up in the morning and I had a Beatles song on and I heard my husband singing it over and over again for like about, 30 minutes, and then he finally came to me and said, why did you play that song? I can't get it out of my mind. You know, it's, it's, it's sort of what I, we think we have some control over our minds, but our mind really sort of does, goes where it wants to go to some degree. I mean, it's, I mean, I imagine you all can have some connection to that. We also, like I say, we sit with our emotional state and our physical state, and sometimes it can be very uncomfortable. We can have all kinds of things going on with us physically. Um, illness or, you know, um, uh, some kind of physical ailment. And it's also age a bit. I, this is, I used to pride myself on how long I could sit on a cushion. I can't sit on a cushion much anymore at all. Uh, my knees are to the point now where I have a hard time standing up sometimes when I sit in the chair and if I'm sitting on a cushion for a long time, I have a really hard time standing up. So, you know, we, we sit with, with, with our physical condition and the discomfort around that, that, that might be there. One reason I bring this up, I, I think it's really important to acknowledge our efforts and acknowledge our willingness to sit with these things. Um, 
to sit with our emotional states that might we might be in, we might be um, having a lot of grief, we might be having heartbreak, we might be having fear, and and to acknowledge the fact that we're willing to sit here and be with that for a while, and to take take some comfort and take some I would almost say it's not really pride, but take some satisfaction that we're willing to be present for this. Um, like I said, I've spoken here a number of times before, um, and it's always a bit of a gift for me to speak here because it really brings back into focus my own awareness of my life and what I'm doing and, and what is currently up for me, and to really pay attention to that for a while. Um, I actually, I mean, I, t I take speaking here very seriously, and I use it for weeks ahead of a time to really pay attention to one, what it is I want to talk about, and two, how it really resonates in my life in some way or another. And one thing I've really noticed in the past few weeks in prepping for this talk is how stressed out I am um, and how common that is for me. But the fact that I'm speaking here really brought a, a, an extra sense of awareness to, oh my God, I'm stressed out a lot of, a lot of the time. And one conclusion I have, and one conclusion I have from that is, it's sort of obvious, but being human is not easy. Being in this body and being in this mind is, is really challenging sometimes. And I know it's not just for me. I know it's pretty, pretty universal. I think everybody in this room can relate. It's hard. It's just really hard sometimes. Um, Part of my assumption is that I thought that when I get things in my life in order, that things would be easier. <laughs> and right now, my life is in pretty good order. I have, in the, in the scope of the world, my life is in incredible order. I, I'm, I'm comfortable economically. Um, I have a wonderful husband. I live in a great town. I like what I do for work. I have good friends, I have good community. It's like, these are all the things that, you know, we think, okay, we get this stuff and things are going to be okay. I am stressed out a lot. And I, I, I find myself worrying, you know, um, angry, um, 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 petulant. Um, it's, it, it goes on and on. And it's like, okay, what, what's this really about? And, what, and so I've looking, been looking a little bit deeper at it, and this really gets into something I want to share that was a really profound teaching of mine that was very simple about 20 years ago. But before I do that, I really <coughs> want to look at being human and the difficulties of being human. So let's talk about suffering and stress for a bit. Um, relationships. We're all in relationships. And they're a pain in the butt sometimes. Our family relationships, the, the, the varying things we go through, the, the love, the loss, the, I mean, all of us have different family relationships and within the families, different relationships. 
I know a lot of people in the room are going through a lot of stress right now around parents that are either past or are passing. Um, I know a lot of people in the room have dealt with abuse from family. Uh, it's, it's challenging. And I also know that families can push our buttons like nobody else can. I go back and I love my parents and I have wonderful parents, but after a day or two, they're like, they're like pushing my buttons and I'm like, what? You know, uh, it, there's a lot of stress that comes up around that. And then the, the relationships with our friends just, just, and with our coworkers. It's challenging a lot of times. People make us angry. People piss us off. Um, people break our hearts. One thing I really noticed this week, I'm working on a new job, and I just started it about two weeks ago. And there's a, it's, a, it's for the Discovery Channel, and there's a producer in L.A. who I really don't like. And she, in my opinion, is not a good producer, and I have been fixated on how she is messing up my life. Um, and the job is downtown, so I've been riding my bike downtown. It's in Chinatown. I ride my bike to Chinatown. And I notice that for most of that 25, 30 minute ride, I am going over my head. I am going to do this to her, and I'm going to do this to her, and I'm going to say this, or I'm not going to talk to her at all, and she's going to have a really hard time. And, and it's just like I go over it and over it again in this relationship just because maybe she's not the best producer. Maybe she put me in a situation I don't want to be in, but I just stay there in this stressful state. And I think it's really part of being human. This is just how our minds and our emotions work sometimes. And we have all these other stresses of being in this time of being human. The um, economic stress sometimes. I think a lot of people really don't know, you know, retirement, um, eviction. Uh, living in a city that gets more and more expensive all the time. There's a lot of stress around that. And not just for ourselves, but for what we see happen happening to our community around us. There's a, there's a real stress that comes from having a heart and caring for the world. And the world is not in great shape right now. Um, when you look at the wars that are going on today, the mass migration that's going on today, unlike things that are almost unknown in the past, um, the infectious diseases that are going on today, I've been reading about the Zika virus and what that's, what that's doing to babies, and it just sort of adds stress to the, we're living in this world that is a bit out of balance and it, it's, it causes suffering, it causes dukkha for us. I watched about, about 10 minutes of the Republican debate last night. <laughs> no, I had to turn it off. Although I did catch the moment when Christie really sort of brought down Rubio and was like, yes. But I had to turn it off because it was just, we're soaking in hate. You know, it was just like soaking in hate and mistrust. And um, it's not comfortable. It's, it's stressful. Um, One quick story, I ran into this woman talking about the stress of the world and how that affects us and having an open heart. 
I worked on a film a couple of years ago. There were these two wonderful uh, married couple filmmakers in town, documentary filmmakers, and they really make social issue documentaries, and they, they care deeply about the world. And they have two wonderful boys, one of whom's in college now. And one film I helped them with was about their oldest boy, who at the, when they first started making the film, he was going through his bar mitzvah. And what he wanted to do for his bar mitzvah was um, gather baseball equipment to send to Cuba because the Cubans don't have much in the way of baseball equipment and they love baseball. And this wonderful little 13-year-old boy loved baseball. And his grandfather had been saved by Cuba because he was a Jew in Hungary whose father went to work one day, did not come home. Mom and son said, we have to get the hell out of here. They got on a boat. America wouldn't let him in. Cuba did. So this is this 13-year-old boy's thank you to Cuba for letting his grandfather in back in 1941. And he gathered all this baseball equipment, and then he found he couldn't get it to Cuba because of all the embargoes. So it was like this three-year journey about how do you get this equipment to Cuba. And he finally, he and his family went to Cuba itself. Anyway, this is sort of a long story about what a wonderful kid this, this young man is. And I've, I've gotten to know him, and completely genuine and heartfelt Great, great kid. Well, he's a sophomore now at Tufts University in, in Boston. And I ran into his mother and I said, how are you doing? And she goes, I'm not doing very good. Um, Micah, this kid's name, is going through a really hard time. He's really unhappy. I was like, what's, what's going on? He goes, he's doing gender studies and he only sees the world as being antagonistic towards any sort of gender inclusion. And he's become a fundamentalist militant, militant about gender issues. And he came home, and my husband and I could not say anything without him correcting us. And he's deeply unhappy about this. And, and, and these parents are like the most liberal social activists you could ever meet and really care deeply about the world. And yet, this kid is so unhappy now because of what is a real issue in the world... The, the, the lack of gender in inclusion or the, the uh, lack of any sort of understanding about what those issues might entail, but to be so filled with unease and stress and dukkha about that and not being able to function and calling your parents you know unacceptable in this world, it's just, it just sort of tells me that if you care about the world, it can really hurt sometimes. It can really hurt. So, one more thing on Dukkha. Um, I could, we, you know, we could talk for weeks on it. <laughs> is impermanence. Um, and one thing I really noticed about getting older is that the, the, impermanence becomes so much more pertinent um, because I'm living it. My body is living it. It's very noticeable. It's arising and passing away. And I am getting well into the passing away stage. Um, my knees, my skin, my hearing, my eyesight, you know, it's, it's all passing away now. And it's really a different study of impermanence when it becomes so personal. <laughs> And, and so unavoidable in some ways. 
I, it's one quick thing. I, when I was looking over at Tom, I saw these tulips. And I, I stayed in a, in a uh, Vajrayana uh, facility in upstate New York one time. Beautiful place out in the woods. And they had this big poster up by the, by the rooms where you slept. And it said, the beautiful tulips are red. Or the, and I don't remember exactly, but it was something about the beautiful tulips are red. Now the beautiful tulips are dead. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, they're 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 on the way out. So you know, it's funny you say that because I heard one teacher say the reason they put flowers and plants on the altar is to, to demonstrate impermanence. impermanence. Yeah, yeah. They, they die and the petals fall off, and you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. <clears throat> it's. It's not particularly, I mean, it's stressful. It's, 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 to be passing away is not necessarily a fun place to be, but it's where we are. Hmm. So, what I want to talk about now that we've gone through the, the dark side for a bit is, is contentment. And when I first started practicing, I, I met a young teacher who's now a very successful senior teacher down in Redwood City, Gil Fronstall. Wonderful guy, has a huge sangha going on now. And, um, he's, he's, just, he's just the best. And I, I met with him privately a couple of times, and one of the first times I met with him, this is now 20, 23 years ago or something, I was talking about how I wasn't very happy and how I really wanted happiness in my life. And he said, well, you know, maybe instead of really focusing on happiness, maybe you should focus on contentment. And that really became one of the richest teachings I've ever received in my life. And at the time, it was just like, oh yeah, maybe, whatever. Um, But it continued to seep in, and it still continues to seep into my life. The issue of, am I pursuing happiness, or can I maybe really sort of refocus and consider contentment in my life, to see when there is contentment and to see when there is not contentment. Because really what goes on when I find myself stressed out, when I find myself suffering, is that I want things to be different. I want more pleasurable, I want less unpleasurable. I want, um, I want, I want, I want. You know, can I be at peace and okay and content with the way things are? And I think this is really an issue to consider, And you know, that we all, we all have had those moments of contentment and we all recognize them but can that become more of a focus and a, and a pathway for us in some ways? One thing I notice when I talk, I get excited and I get ahead of myself. So I'm trying to remind myself, okay, just slow down a little bit and try to stay with what it is you have to say. So I'm taking a moment every so often. Contentment, being at peace. Um, I was talking with my partner the other night about um, giving, giving a talk, and I was telling him what I wanted to talk about. And he goes, oh, contentment, of course, it's not wanting. 
It's not wanting. Um, it doesn't come with the same expectations as happiness. Happiness has a has is more of a state where there's uh, more of an exuberant joy, and it's more of an exalted or a, a, a state that doesn't necessarily pertain to other emotional states that we all experience. I can't imagine really being happy, being heartbroken, but I think there is a way to be content when you're heartbroken, um, or in grief, or you know, having physical discomfort, or sickness, or whatever. There's a way that we can be at peace with that. There's a way we can be in alignment with that. There's a way we can not be wanting it to be something else that's different than saying, I'm going to be happy with this. It's, it's an emotional state that can apply to all situations. It's sort of what I've been trying to talk about. And when I say this, I really want to stress that that's not easy either. That's part of being human too. If we think that you know we're going to be content in our in our physical discomfort, and that somehow we're doing it wrong if we aren't content in our physical discomfort, you know that that's not what I'm trying to get at. It's not easy, but I think it, if if we have that as part of our guide, as part of our focus, we maybe be able to find some extra peace and alignment and satisfaction with whatever uncomfortable state we're in. In um, considering contentment, I just looked around and um, at what other things I could find on the issue of contentment, and it, it's, it sort of surprised me. Um, I was reading, it's a central thread through many philosophical and religious schools across diverse cultures, times, and geographies. It's sort of universal. All different religions and philosophies often come back to this idea of contentment. The Buddha said, contentment is the highest wealth, meaning that when we are content, we do not need to get anything, go anywhere, or be anything to be happy, because we already are. And thus, contentment is more valuable than any possession or accomplishment. The, Buddha's, the Buddha describes the monk's contentment like this. He is satisfied with a robe to cover his body and alms food to satisfy his stomach. And having accepted no more than this is sufficient, and he goes his way. Peace comes from within. Do not seek it without. Um, John Stuart Mill, an English philosopher, said... I have learned to seek my happiness by limiting my desires, rather than attempting to satisfy them. Um, the Bible, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. A third century Chinese philosopher, a gentleman who profoundly penetrates all things and is in harmony with their transformations will be contented with whatever time may bring. He follows the course of nature in whatever situation he may be. Socrates, he who is not contented with what he has would not be contented with what he would like to have. 
And that's, that's really one of the richest ones for me, because I mentioned earlier, I have, I'm not trying to brag or anything. I, mean, I have a good life. And yet I find I'm not content so much at the time. Um, living in this world of desires, of wanting to things to be different than they are. It, it was really humbling in thinking, I want to come here and talk about this teaching that I had of contentment that has been very rich for me, while realizing that how often I am not content. And, and if there's something that feels disingenuous, almost, for me to come up here and talk about that, because I realize how much of the time I'm not that content. But I also have realized that that focus helps foster contentment and that there are times when I am content and the awareness I have that I was talking about in preparing for this talk is yeah, yeah, there is a lot of contentment in my life and to feel that and to honor that and to, like I say, foster that in some way. So... Um, I mentioned that producer that I was working with and how I would fixate on her on my bike rides. Um, and then it was like, oh, and here I am. I'm going to give a talk on contentment. How can I be at peace? How can I be happy with the way it is? And I actually sort of changed my attitude towards her. And part of what I did was it was like she's doing the best she can. She might be caught in a really difficult place. I started to apply a little bit of understanding, a little bit of kindness to her. And it really helped bring the level of anger down, down, down quite a bit. And then I started to pay attention to other things in my mind. I'm riding my bike home. It's a beautiful night. There's a whole... If you ride your bike down Market Street, there's, there's like this huge bike community now that just travels down Market Street. And there's a bunch of really wonderful characters. And I started to really rest my mind more with that and less with this producer that I'm fighting with. And it really started to change how I was in the world and what level of stress I had. By just sort of refocusing, by, by applying some awareness to it, by refocusing what my relationship to her was and what she might be, going through and who she is, and then just to also, where am I resting my mind? And looking at what else is around me. It happened an hour ago as I'm late getting out of the house, coming down the hill, and, and stressed out about giving a talk, because I actually find giving a talk a little bit, or sometimes a lot stressful. Um, and I'm riding down the hill, I live up on top of 18th Street, and there are these beautiful trees with these flowers on them, and the smell in the air is wonderful. There's this blue sky. There's not much traffic. I'm sailing down the hill. The world is beautiful. The world is beautiful. Um, and to refocus my attention, not on the stress, not on the fact that I have to give a talk, but just to take in the beauty around me, it's, it's really sort of astounding. Where do we rest? Where do we rest our minds? So, there are skills to build contentment to help foster and, and, and live with some sort of contentment. 
Part of it's awareness. Part of it's what we're doing here as we sit. Part of what I was talking about on my bike ride, just to see it, to see our stress and to see the possibility of not having stress. To apply some wisdom to it. It's a bit of what I was talking about um, with that producer. I would maybe consider that she is doing the best she can, that she might be caught in a, hot, in a hard place. Some wisdom, some understanding, applying that to our situations of stress. Our own personal health and well-being, you know, um, can we take it for what it is? And, and to build on the, the, the wise understanding of where we are can really allow contentment to arise. Um, I found in the past couple of weeks one of the biggest alievers of stress and one of the biggest builders of contentment is kindness. Um, it's, it's really it. It's, it's all, it all comes down to kindness. Um, I know for, for years a number of people here have been doing these dinners at a, at a shelter. It's this act of kindness, and I can almost guarantee you that they all have felt really beautiful levels of contentment after feeding people that need to be fed. Um, and I've been, again, in preparation for this talk, I've been practicing kindness sometimes on my, on my travels to work, at work, or whatever, and it's amazing the the effects that kindness can have on your psyche, on your physical well-being, on your connection with other people. Just very simple acts of kindness. And the one, I mean it always comes down to this, the person that really deserves the kindness the most is ourselves. And that if we can direct a little bit of this kindness to ourselves, it can, it can have great effect. Because there could be so much judgment around our own suffering. What? Am, I, am I done? <laughs> um, there can be so much judgment around our own suffering and our and our inability sometimes to maybe have contentment that we just add layers of extra suffering. To be kind to ourselves, that as I was saying at the beginning, that being human is difficult. Being human is not easy. I don't think anybody here can say it's a breeze. It's a bitch. Um, and part of it is, as I said in the beginning, I, it's, I think it's, it's helpful, it's wise to acknowledge our, our braveness in sitting. Um, Our, our ability to face this, our ability to come together in community to, and, and, and do this together. Um, it's also can be wise to just acknowledge that being human is difficult. It's not easy. And to give ourselves a break over this sometimes. And to be content with the way things are because of that. Um, a couple of quick things in closing, I want to open up for some questions, but 
One thing I was noticing also, and I hadn't thought about this before, but in preparation for this talk, this talk is really about the four foundations of mindfulness. Uh, not the four foundations, the, the four noble truths. I'm sorry, I'm getting ahead of my... It's, it's really about the four noble truths, which is sort of the foundation of all Buddhist practice. That there is suffering, that there is causes of suffering, that there is alleviation from suffering, and that there, there's a path that helps support that. And the... Uh, the alleviation of suffering is really about looking for those moments of contentment and to help build those moments of contentment because that's really about being at peace with the way things are, not wanting things to be different. Um, that is the freedom that Buddha is talking about. And one thing that I'd like to come back to over and over again is the stance and the expression generally of Buddhas. I mean, you have some Chinese Buddhas that are laughing and jolly, but the stance of the Buddha is usually one that's in peace and it's one of contentment. It's one of being able to sit in the middle of it all and being at peace with it. So I offer this as a talk today like it was offered to me many years ago as a point of reference. Um, are we seeking happiness? Are we seeking you know, wealth or prosperity or fame or whatever? Or can, can we maybe focus on contentment? Um, it can be a point of reference, a point of reflection, and really how well the Four Noble Truths are working can really be used in a very simple question, am I content or am I not? And is there something that I can do that can maybe help foster more contentment? Like right here, right now. Hmm. I think I'll leave it with that. We have about 10 minutes for uh, comments, questions. First. <clears throat> totally with you on, uh, on contentment in our lives, and I also think about how discontent has been for the world at large been a great mover toward progress in so many areas. For example, um, scientists who are discontent with people dying of certain diseases, and that discontent pushes them toward working for cures of disease, people who are discontent, right. with people who don't have enough food to eat, with homelessness. Right. So I wonder if you could um, hmm. talk about how yeah. that, how you can be content and discontented. Using discontentment as a tool to make things better. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Boy. <laughs> you know, part of Part of what I very lightly touched on was um, how to build contentment is wisdom. Um, and the wisdom to know when it's there and know when it's not. The wisdom to help foster it. The wisdom to make choices in your life that add to your own contentment. Maybe, and I don't know, maybe part of it's wisdom to realize when the contentment is not there, which is what I was talking about too, to use it as a guide, 
that part of that wisdom is to one is that you know you will be more content if fewer people are hungry, if there are medicines that help cure people. That that, that that's actually a positive way of noticing when contentment's not there, where, where you have discontentment. I mean, I don't know. I think it's a really interesting question. And how to use the, the, the difficulties in our life to fuel things to be better is, is, a, is a great area of exploration, I think. But, and I, again, I think there's some wisdom that really comes with using things properly. And yes, there's a, I, think it, I think you bring up a really good point. At the same time, a lot of discontent is what is happening in the Middle East and happening, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it also leads to war and, and famine and, you know, all kinds of atrocities that uh, is not the wise use of dis discontentment. Um, so just to somehow foster that wisdom to see, see things clearly, I guess, I don't know. But it's, I think it's another really great area to pay attention to. So, what do we do with our own discontentment? And then he was, I, I saw Jim second, so. Uh, Mark, I'm sorry. That's right. Um, nice to see you. Thank you um, for your talk. Um, I just, I had a, a comment and a kind of a question. Um, I also have a very difficult person I've been working with, and last week there was a drama talk on compassion. Right. I just want to get kindness on second. It's been really quite helpful. Right. Um, but I was wondering, because I had a very stressful year, this is just my work and so forth, um, and I've been sort of focused on the notion of equanimity. Right. And I just want to know if, maybe if you could comment a little bit on uh, equanimity and its relationship to contentment. Or yeah, 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 yeah. But, you know, I actually thought about bringing equanimity and and balance into the talk because it, they're, they're so interrelated, I think. It's, it's, it's the contentment, but it's also the equanimity. It's, the equanimity is the being at peace with everything. The equanimity is the contentment, it's sort of the way I see it. Um, it's, it's the balance. Um, being in the difficult and the, and the not so difficult, and, or you know, being with desires and aversions. It's the balance between all of that, which is this place of contentment, I think. Um, no, I think there's... Can, can one practice equanimity? I mean, is that, can that be a practice? I mean, this is a funny way to say it, but... Yeah, yeah, no, I, that, that's, that's part of what I wanted to do with offering this idea of contentment to the, to the group. It does become a practice. It's, it can become a practice in some ways, just as a point of reference, like equanimity can. I mean, you, you know... I like to start with, when we sit here in silence, we pay attention, because paying attention is really central. And so when we pay attention, we notice when there is an equanimity, when there isn't, isn't contentment, and then we can sort of say, well, what, what can maybe be done to balance that out? That, that is a practice. Um, and to, to build on the things that help build that in our lives, which is, which is the fourth of the Four Noble Truths living a life that helps foster this wisdom and this ability to practice equanimity, to practice contentment or whatever, to be fine with it all, you know, to have a, a robe and a bowl and say, I'm fine with this, I don't need much more, you know, it's, it's, yeah, it can be a practice, I think, so, when, when, we're, when we're aware enough and not caught in our own dramas to, to do it, <laughs> 
I'm, yeah, yeah, that's a good one. One thing that strikes me is that in your, in your talk, you're talking about not being comfortable with your relationship with this producer and, and thinking maybe she's trying her best or whatever. Right. But what strikes me is that you're trying to change her to some extent or trying to interpret her in a different way and maybe she really is an asshole. Right. <laughs> right. You know, and it seems to me, and I know from my own experience, that being content with being discontented what? is really where it's at for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, it's, you know, it's true. I mean, I try to touch on that a bit, but yeah, I think you said it much clearer than what you say. We have to be content with our discontentment. Yeah. At, at, on some level. Yeah. We have to be content with being crazy with living in a body that's passing away with with all of that stuff with all of that stuff thank you yeah thank you for a great talk Bill um, I especially appreciated the beginning when you talked about how courageous it was to sit with our experience you know mm. and how much looking away there is and it reminded me of Joseph uh, Joanna Macy's uh, comment about sustaining the gaze you know mm. that really that Doing that, that, that's where life is because you find your own you know, impermanence, you know, your own, uh, and that's, if you want to learn how to live, you, you're at hospital learning how to die. Right, right, I mean, right. It's, it's the same, same point. Right, right, right. And, um, right. and that includes the discontent. Yeah, so, right, right. So, thanks. There's a real bravery. There's a yeah. real bravery. Yeah, but yeah, you get yeah. to be alive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To be alive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you aren't you aren't texting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Michael. Um, yeah, I just wanted to appreciate uh, your bravery at making yourself vulnerable. That, that's such a great teaching for me. You know, regardless of the content of the talk, just uh, the willingness to share very deeply about your own experience. So, thank you. Thanks, Michael. The one thing that, I don't talk much anymore. I don't, I give very few talks. I talk once a year at GBF, if I can talk about myself for a minute. But one reason I did was, <clears throat> I don't want to talk about myself all the time, but also, the, the Dharma is the truth. And I don't want to get up here and talk about things that I don't know to be true. You know, and I, that's one thing I love about the Dharma is that it asks us all to find out what's true for ourselves and not to take somebody else's word for it. And I don't want to get up here and read other people's teachings that I don't know somehow deeply myself. And sometimes I don't know how deeply I know the teachings. But I do know those moments of freedom and contentment that come and how they built by practicing in a fostering awareness and, and trying to gain some wisdom. And that's what I try to share. So that it, it, I don't know any other way. And I, and, and I do it not very often now because I, you know, oh, and today I'm going through this. It's like it gets old after a while. So thank you. Jim. Yeah, um, I, I typically, when there's a sunny day on a national holiday, you know, I say, oh, it's, it's great. Super Bowl's a national I found myself thunderstorms and lightning to destroy this parade, which has poisoned the city. Yeah, yeah. And um, I'm having a very hard time to have any compassion for the NFL. Um, 
Ja. thing and then one more where do we abide with our thinking and we can change that sometimes and that's what I was talking a bit about you know it's like we, we, we go over and over this and if you put a little bit of awareness to that and say I can think about something else and it, and it can it can change things a bit where we abide with our thinking has a huge impact on ourselves and there's something that's I don't quite understand it but I sometimes really find it hard to turn away from my anger and, and it doesn't do me well. It doesn't do me well at all. It makes me an unlikable person in many ways. But I find it hard to turn away from that, even with awareness. But when I do, it's much better. Yes. It's much better. Yeah. I just want to thank you for your talk. And just two things came to mind. One is this, for me, it was really helpful to um, hear this concept of being content with one's discontentment. I think that's really helpful. Yeah. Last night, uh, my partner and I and a friend went to see The Big Short. Right, 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 right. Which, in a way, sums up so much and relates to Jim's comment, you know, about the NFL, <coughs> cultural, political, and economic, and, and how it's all intertwined. Right. And, and that, so there is, there is a, a genuine discontentment, and, well, let's face it, rage about that, but. Right. But how we sit with that is important, I think. Right. But the other thing that was raised, that Jay raised, is also, I think, important yeah. for us, and that is to use that discontentment right. as an impetus right. to change, right. for change, in a way that doesn't make us crazy. Right. Like, if we don't go out and buy an Uzi and start shooting, you know, right. or something, right. you know, um, and... I don't know, I, I just, I think we, that, that for me, just kind of bring those things together. Because um, it's, there's a way that you can feel powerless, I think. And we're not really powerless. But we can be discontented. And to kind of discern where and how, uh, recognizing a certain sense of powerless, which can feed into rage or whatever, um, and to kind of step back from that and maybe see it as this kind of discontentment that we can maybe use, hopefully, in a constructive way. Right, right, right. What you said reminded me of that the serenity prayer that ends with, and the wisdom to know the difference. Exactly, right, yeah. right, 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 right. Mm -hmm. No. Yeah, it's, it's the wisdom and the understanding, right. And not to be judgmental when, when we get it wrong, yeah. uh, sometimes, too, but which, you know, happens a lot. <laughs> so, yeah, thank you both for that. Perfect. Thank you, Bill. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much.
Um, next week we will have an open discussion. Um, we'll break into small groups on the topic and uh, be able to hear from each other. Um, before I uh, remind us about Dharma, I want or uh, Donna, I want to share with you the impact that our gathering here has and everything that we do and the newsletter that goes out and our donations. This is a letter from someone in Ione, California, prison. Uh, hello there, my friends. I've been wanting to write to you for a while. I just wasn't sure how to say what I wanted to. First and foremost, thank you. I so look forward to receiving your newsletter every couple of months. There are a few that we use in our sitting group as topic starters and others that are used as uh, used for a formal teaching because uh, many times our Dharma talks are transcribed and appear in whole, so much like perhaps Bill's work. Um, I presented No Need to Survive, one of our recent topics, on the Heart Sutra at least a half dozen times over the years. The poem at the end always <coughs> makes me cry. About five or six years ago, I got a Buddha tattooed on my right calf. Not all that interesting, but I used as the origin image the Buddha on your newsletter. I love the simplicity and the clean lines. Again, thank you. That tattoo basically screams out to everyone around me that I follow the middle way and am somewhat strong in my adherence to the path. On the strength of that tattoo, that Buddha image right out there in the open for all to see, I have stepped into the gap between two men about to start throwing blows. I've yet to be injured or fail to stop the violence. <coughs> With every newsletter, I'm taken back to my childhood home in the corner of Ord and Market Streets, not too far from where you sit today. Mm. Again, I thank you. Most of all, I just really wanted the people who have helped me to know that they have helped me. Mm -hmm. I'm a much better person for having put into practice the lessons that I've learned from all of you. The patience, loving kindness, honesty, and hope. I've not always been able to see that, that in my life, but going back and rereading some of your newsletters allows me to find some new insight into myself. Thank you. Going back to 2012, my closest sibling, Sage, died of breast cancer in January. I found great comfort in John O'Donohue's word and in the entire way that Larry Robinson presented such a basic core belief in impermanence. Once again, I thank you. Finally, I wanted to extend to you all of, all of you an invitation in prisons, getting someone to commit to a long-term agreement, to come and sit with us, is a very big deal. The last such we had here was a monk from the Liberation Prison Project. He was awesome. But he had to move on to other things after four or five years. What I'm asking for is someone who can commit a day a month to come and teach. By teach, I mean share their experience and give basic instruction. A person who can <coughs> refuge in the five lay vows would be a huge bonus, but in no way necessary. I've been practicing for 12 years now and do not feel completely qualified to teach, even though I do, and I'm very cautious about the subjects that I bring up in a way in which, uh, and the way in which I answer questions. Our group is made up of people from different schools of Buddhism, and I do not, under any circumstances, want to drive anyone out because of the dogma that I'm presenting. If a teaching comes from someone who is not in a prisoner uniform, it's received in a different light. I don't necessarily agree with that, but it's just the way it is. So if you have an interest, please let me know. I can tell you who and how to start the process. Once more, just thank you. I don't think that I would be the person I am today if I hadn't started getting your newsletter. Mark Schweiger. So, our sitting has ripple effects throughout the world. Our, our, our sangha has a big impact in the world.
and all and everything you do, like like you said, Bill, just sitting down to do this is a is a big act. So, um, I want to remind us that uh, Dhamma is the Pali word for giving, and uh, it's what sustains everything we do, the newsletter and our outreach and other things. So um, please be generous. Our host will go around. With the Donna Bowl suggested eight to ten dollars would be great. Um, and our host, Jim. I'm your host, so let's see. If you're new and want to be on the mailing list and get either the email or a physical newsletter, there's a sign-up sheet. I'll be going around with the Donna Bowl. Uh, there are snacks. There's some homemade muffins out there today. Uh, some of us meet afterwards at 12:30 for lunch at the front door. And there's also tea and hot water, if you want. Any other announcements? There's letters coming soon, isn't it? I, I'd love to read that letter in three weeks when we send out the next version. Mm -hmm. so, okay. mm -hmm. yeah. 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 We'll have 45 people help. Uh, seeing no other announcements, let's gather for our dedication. By the power and truth of this practice, may all beings have happiness and the causes of happiness. May all be free from sorrow and the causes of sorrow. May all never be separated from the sacred happiness, which is without sorrow. And may all live in equanimity without too much attachment or too much aversion, believing in the equality of all that lives. Thank you, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Gay Buddhist Forum. If you would like to hear several new talks per month and be notified of upcoming speakers so you can participate live, please subscribe to this podcast, like us on Facebook, and join our mailing list by visiting gaybuddhist.org.